Amy Holland has been surrounded by music since the day she was born. Her mother was a singer and performer, and her father was also involved in the music industry. She headed to L.A. when she was only 15 years old to pursue her own career in music, which is where she met Michael McDonald, who co-produced her album and eventually became her husband. Amy was on top of the world with her top 40 hit, How Do I Survive?, and a Grammy nomination for Best New Artist in 1981, along with a follow-up album in 1983. After a lengthy and difficult battle with cancer, Amy returned to music and released her third studio album in 2008 titled The Journey to Miracle River. Amy's musical journey continues, and a few weeks ago she released the brand new album, Light of My Path. Inside Music Cast is pleased to welcome Amy Holland. Hey Amy, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm Welcome. It's a pleasure. You know, it's it's so good having you on the show. And of course, uh, we've had your husband Michael and, and of course your son Dylan on the show as guests in the past. So it's, you know, we felt it's high time we, we have you on. Definitely. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, we've got a lot to talk about, including your brand new album titled Light on My Path. Thanks. And uh, but but of oh. course we'd like to spend some uh, some time uh, getting to know more about you. Yep. So um, one of the things you know we're always fascinated uh, with how our guests discovered music and how you know they were influenced by it. But when I learned about you know your parents when I was doing research and I was checking out this information about your parents, it was it was easy to see that you know music was in your veins early on. And you know your mom your mom was known as and tell me if I'm pronouncing this right as Esmeralda. Yep, that was early in her career. Yeah. She had kind of a little stick she did, and yeah. it was sort of a hillbilly act, uh-huh. you know, and and her song, she did novelty records back mm-hmm. then, mm-hmm. and it was kind of fun stuff. Slap her down again, Pa, and <laughs> I didn't know the gun was loaded, and there were, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of humorous songs. Well, she was a, a woman of many talents, you know, and, and you know, her, her kind of era was back in the 30s and 40s. And, you know, right. she was a singer. She was a, a voice actor. I understand she did the voice of a character in the Popeye cartoon. Um, she, yes, she did the voice Possum Pearl. Possum Pearl. <laughs> really? Wow. Possum Pearl was uh, showed up every now and then to give Olive Oil run for her money. Okay. All right. <laughs> Popeye. Yeah. But she played ukulele and, and piano, and, and, and she was the first female DJ at WABC in New York. Uh, you know, it's just to name a few of her talents. And, and your father, of course, was an opera singer and eventually became uh, a mastering engineer at Mercury Records. And Right, what, absolutely. So what was life growing up uh, with these two amazingly talented personalities? Oh, it was colorful. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. They were opposites, but they, you oh, yeah. know, some, somehow that worked out that um, – you know, my my mom and dad met on uh, her radio show. Somebody didn't show up one week, and and so my dad filled in. That's how they met. But, oh wow! Um, you know, we we grew up listening to music, and of course, when my dad went to Mercury, uh, a lot of the songs that we all grew up on, he would bring home the test pressings because he was a he was a mastering engineer. Right. So I got to hear all the new Four Seasons records and Dusty Springfield <laughs> and. You know, all kinds of walk away, Renee. I can't remember all the songs that he mastered that, wow. you know, that I got to hear before everybody else. So that was always fun. That's very cool. Yeah. So how do you see yourself based on the talents that sort of were handed down from your parents? I mean, do you see yourself more like your mom or, or your dad when it comes down to, you know, um, what, what what they were like? Well, musically, I think I probably got most of my influence from my mom yeah. and, uh, Certainly, some of my singing style just came naturally because of the way mm-hmm. she sang. Because uh, I, you know, looked up to her. Used to take her albums to show and tell in school. You know, so 
Um, well, well, they weren't the albums back then. They were 78. Right. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I, you know, I have a similar sound. There was one particular song on this new record that I did that I felt like she was in the room with me or something mm-hmm. doing the singing, but it was... Uh, it was definitely my mom was my biggest influence. Interesting. Well, you know, I saw a video on YouTube of your mom uh, singing a song called "They Cut Down the Old Pine Tree." And that's right. And when I when I saw her when I was watching that video and I saw her for the first time, I, you know, I thought she was your twin. I mean, you, you two really look so much alike. We do. Yeah. And, and now my daughter looks very much like between the two of us. Okay. So. <laughs> That's amazing. That cool. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your uh, your other musical influences as you were growing up, you know? Well, you know, all the Motown stuff I grew up with, you know, loved Aretha Franklin, you know, Supremes, Marvin Gaye, they were all people that I listened to. And then when I got a little older, Joni Mitchell was queen of my world. Yeah, yeah. Ever. And, uh, but, you know, certainly... Starting out in my teens, I was listening to all kinds of you know whatever was top forty at that time, and yeah. uh, and, a, and a few things that my dad brought home. He would he would get all excited if I liked the new Perry Como record or something. One <laughs> <laughs> record we might agree on, you know. So uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of hard to name all the people that influenced me. Sure. I think it's kind of a potpourri of of different genres of music. So, you know, you were around 27 years old, I think, when you released your debut album. But leading up to that time, give me an idea as to how you found your way to, to L.A. and a little about your, your musical path. And I, I think you might have been pretty young when you landed in L.A., maybe 16 or 17. And I wondered what brought you to L.A. at such a young age. Well, actually, I think I, when I landed there, I was about 15. And oh, wow. what happened was my, my sister is seven years older than I. And so she left home certainly way before I did. And she went to L.A. and got a job working at Tiger Beat Magazine. Okay. <laughs> and she wow. met a woman there who became her roommate, and she was dating one of the Beach Boys. Okay. And um, they heard me, uh, or, or her boyfriend, Patty's boyfriend, Ms. Johnson, heard me, heard me sing and decided that I should go and sing for Brian Wilson. And... I think if I really had realized that the impact of that, <laughs> I would have been a lot more nervous. <laughs> yeah. some, somebody dropped me off at his house in, in California and with my little guitar, and I sat in his living room and just sang him my songs that I had either wow. tried to write or things that I was learning or wow. whatever, and yeah. sang for him. And, and uh, at that time, Brother Records, their record label, was still going, and so uh, they they all heard the little demo I did and they decided they wanted to sign me to Brother Records, which did not come to pass because before I, you know, by the time I left New York and got to California, the the label had folded. So I just, I wanted to be out here. I just knew the minute I ever came to California for the first time that this was where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, the music scene was so much fun back then for me. You know, LA was such a fun place then, yeah. and so different than where I was in New York, and uh, so uh, I, we, my sister and I wrote a, a song together that got published, and the publisher sort of took me on as my, you know, as a, a manager situation, uh-huh. and he 
played it for a producer, Rick Gerard, who mm-hmm. was producing a young man named Michael McDonald. And Michael was, by that time, I was 16 and Michael was 18. And so <laughs> Rick said, I just, I signed this kid. I think that you two would have a lot in common musically. And I'd like you to meet, you know, before we get started recording, because you may help on the recording. And so I, I went over to an apartment building where Michael was uh, living with the producer's brother. They were roommates. And so I heard Michael sing for the first time, and, it, you know, I was with my boyfriend and my sister, and it blew our minds. I mean, we just didn't yeah. know how a voice like that could come out of an 18-year-old guy. It just didn't make sense. <laughs> and uh, his songs were amazing, and his voice was amazing, and, so I walked out of there a different woman. <laughs> My boyfriend <laughs> was up. But, um, yeah, but that's how I sort of, you know, my mother had a connection at, connection at A&M Records. And so when the Beach Boy thing went through, did not go through, she took me over there to have me sing for Lance Freed, okay. whose father was Alan Freed. Oh, okay. All right. And um, Lance said, you know, I really want this guy producer here to hear you. So he brought in Jack Darty, who was producing The Carpenters, and he heard me sing, and he said, let me do a demo of you real quick. And I was in the big studio at A&M Records, and just me and my little guitar, and I did my little demo, and, you know, nothing ever came of it. I think it was before people were signing children, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, back then, I think Herb Alpert really liked my voice, but he he said, you know, I just, today just was the only concern for me. So mm-hmm. I wasn't picked up by A&M, but that started me and, you know, meeting people and publishers and different people in L.A. and going on to doing gigs around town and just kind of plugging into the scenes down there. So. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that the guy that was playing piano, his name was Michael. What, whatever happened to his career? Um, did you ever find out? Did he, did he do anything? You mean, <laughs> I'm just you mean, joking. Yeah, Michael. well, you know, I yeah. lost touch with him for about five years, and then I saw him on the back of a Steely Dan album cover. Yeah. And I said, oh, good for him. Look what he's doing, you know? And we, we had lost touch. And then the next thing I heard was that he had joined the Doobie Brothers and there was a pub- another publisher I was involved with that was trying to help me get a record deal, and he was saying, well, what, what writers do you like? And I said, well, I like Gerald Hall, and I like this guy, Michael McDonald, that I worked with years ago, but he's with uh, the Doobie Brothers now. And he said, well, I've got concert tickets to the Forum. Do you want to go? And I said, oh, I'd love to. So <laughs> that's, uh, you know, I, I did something kind of out of character for me, which yeah. was I slipped a note to the sound man like 500 other women probably did that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, this is Amy Borsma, which was my maiden name, right. my name, which no one could ever pronounce it. So yeah. therefore, Holland came in. But so it's Amy Borsma. I don't know if you remember me, but, you know, I'm still here in L.A. and so happy for you and put my number down. I didn't hear anything. And, of course, it seemed like for a year, but 10 days later, he called me. He said, I just found the number of my coat pocket. We're flying to Vegas for a show. I'd love to get together when I get back. So oh, that's we set up cool. a meeting and, and got reacquainted. So. Well, I was I was being facetious. I knew what happened with his career. I just... <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, yeah, we, we sort of both did, but it was a funny question anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I had to get it. Well... <laughs> 
Well, tell me about his involvement, though, on that first record, because he was your producer. He was one of your co-produced that first album for you. Right. Well, when when I did meet him, when we, you know, we arranged to, to have a meeting, and, you know, we met at a Mexican restaurant, and he brought, at the time, Keith Knudsen was the drummer of the Doobies, and he was with Michael, and I had been working with Patrick Henderson doing some demos, and he was a producer, and Patrick and I went, over and so the four of us sat and chatted and Mike said, well, I just always loved your voice. I wondered what happened to you. So one thing led to another and Michael and Patrick hit it off musically and they started writing a little bit together and pretty soon we had a four four song demo put together and, uh, you know, people started shopping it for us and people that Michael was involved with and uh, that's when we got a call from Capitol saying we'd like to sign Amy if Michael will produce. Oh, okay. And it couldn't have been a worse time in his career because that's when his career was absolutely flying. It's yeah. minute by minute <laughs> album had come out. And, right. You know, but being being Michael and knowing him now for as many years as I have, he doesn't know is not easy for him to say. <laughs> he yeah. just doesn't say no. So he said yes, but it took us three years to do the record because they were on the road constantly. So he'd come home after six months, and we'd cut two songs, and then he'd leave again. So it took a while to do the record, but but we hung in there, and we had a blast doing it. Interesting. It was really fun. Yeah. So so what would you say that that Michael brought to you know to the album as a producer that uh, that you may not have envisioned that he would have brought uh, you know for this your first project? Well, you know, his sound was all over it because he you know he yeah. was that's what he knew, and yeah. so he was. He was playing piano and sang some backgrounds, and it was it was very Mike McDonald-ish in some ways. Uh, although, you know, he certainly let me. He, he didn't want to change my voice at all. He didn't want. I had voice a voice coach at one point that said, you know, you must work through that break in your voice and not, you know, not do that to change keys. And Mike's going, don't go back to him. We like that. We don't want that to change. And, well, I wouldn't know. That's how I learned how to sing from yeah. my mother. That's how she sang. So right, right. That you know that little break in my voice I didn't get from Joni Mitchell. I got it from my mom. So, um, but you know, Mike was uh, Michael and Patrick wrote a couple songs, and he uh, put his touch on everything. And you know, his anything he touches, it's hard not to yeah know it's him. Really, right, right. You know? right. We found that out on this album, even though he didn't produce it or, uh, well, he did backgrounds on it. But right. at one point, we were going to have him do the backgrounds on both parts on Gravity, which was a song, three-part harmony. Right. And it just, it, it was just, it sounded like a Michael McDonald record, so we had to take him off. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I, I asked a friend of mine, I said, what does this sound like to you? She said, it sounds like it's his record. I went, yeah. never mind, I'm okay. <laughs> Enough of that. <laughs> well, I got to yeah, say, you, yeah. men- you mentioned a second ago about how, you know, if you know Michael, he has a hard time saying no. I've probably met him a half dozen times over the years, and and I'm not just saying this because you're on the phone. I tell this to everybody, but he's the, one of the nicest people I've ever met. <laughs> he's just so down he to really earth, is. <laughs> just a he totally is. nice guy. So, it, so I've always. I really... have a funny story if you want to hear a funny story. Oh yeah, there was a, a pretty well-known keyboard player in the business, and he was up in Santa Barbara one year. We would uh, Michael would do a sort of a charity Christmas TV show, local show. Mm-hmm. Every Christmas, and this this 
piano player was on the show that year, and uh, this woman came walking through the room, and she was, I want to meet Mrs. Michael McDonald. I want to meet Amy. And she came up to me. She said, your husband is so nice. He's got to be taking it out on somebody. <laughs> 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 It was it was kind of cute the way she did it, but you know, I mean, he wasn't. Believe me, he wasn't home beating me. Really. <laughs> That's he was, funny. You know, funny. definitely uh, let me know what was going on when it was going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, of course, you had a pretty pretty solid success with the song "How Do I Survive." I think it reached as high as number twenty two on the Billboard Top forty, and and you were even nominated for a Grammy for Best New Artist. And you know, I was looking through right. the liner notes. I remembered some of the guys that were on that album. You had you know, oh. you had a real A list like Hadley Hawkinsmith, and you had Mike Baird and Tom Scott, Lenny Castro. Some of these guys we've had on the show here before, mm-hmm. Win- Wendy Waldman, Slide Hyde, and, and even that guy, Michael McDonald. But then, you know, your next album that was released in 83 was titled On Your Every Word, and, and it um, it was released on Capitol, but I think there was something – I don't know the story behind this, but 23 years later, it was re-released on EMI, and your bio mentioned that it was caught in like a corporate crosshairs with Capitol. What happened with that? You know, I really don't know, okay. um, and that might have been a bio that uh, I didn't – I didn't actually write the whole bio, okay. but yeah. I couldn't figure out what happened to the masters. And then I was, then somebody says, that, well, I think they were bought by somebody in France because in France they keep releasing this or that. Or when people would say, where can I get the record? I'd say, I, I, now I, I can't tell you. I don't know. Huh. And Because uh, I, I really don't think Capital expected the record to do as well as it did. Uh-huh. And so it was not... Um, a lot of people would go to try to buy it, and it wasn't available. So when I guess they did sell the Masters DMI, but I didn't know that for a long time. Wow. I was kind of in the dark about where they were and how to get licensing on something if I wanted to redo it with someone or whatever. But yeah, yeah. It, that was sort of after I was off the label, so I didn't know much about it at all. Okay. All That's right. That's interesting. You know, Amy, in 83 was a pretty magical time in L.A. You know, we've talked to a lot of our guests about this whole studio scene, you know. And, and as Rick mentioned just a little while ago, you know, on the, your um, original album, your first album, you had such an A-list of, uh, of musicians. Uh, and it's just raised the bars. I mean, the notch so much higher, if, it's, if that's even possible. You had Jeff Procaro. You had Nathan Neese, Mark Leonard, Robin Ford, Richard Page. Uh, and the list right. goes on and on. Luke, David Pack, even James Newton Howard was on this. And, uh, and of course, Michael um, produced this one again. Tell us about working with these type of guys because it was uh, sort of in the the busy time when the L.A. musician scene right. was really hot. Well, Michael had worked with all of these people or known them or met them at least, you know, or had heard about them. So, you know, he hired all the musicians and knew a lot of the, certainly the Toto guys really well and James Newton Howard and different people and it it we just had so much fun we really did now when I did the second album I did it first with a, another producer because Mike was so busy mm-hmm. and Capital wasn't thrilled with it and they said look can you go back in and we'll let you do it again just do it with Michael and he agreed so we did that and it it, it definitely came out better so wow. um I just you know I was in the right place at the right time with the mm-hmm. right producer because yeah. Like you said, it was at the height of his career, so he was, you know, nobody was saying no to him when he was yeah. called. <laughs> sure. So I got the good end of that. 
Well, you know, by now during this time, you were getting you know a lot of notice from your peers, and you, you found your way into the studio in support of of other musicians. You know, lending your vocals to projects with guys like Kenny Loggins, and of course, your husband and, and Joni Mitchell and the Doobies, just to name a few. And did you enjoy that type of role as a backing vocalist? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. it was so much. Oh, I love working in the studio anyway. Yeah. But it was it was fun and scary all at once. You know, I was I had I was in my little comfort zone with Michael and. All of a sudden, I'm I'm in with all these other people. It's like, Mike, where are you? <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but if, if everybody, you know, it was such a fun music scene back then. Yeah. Especially in LA, it was really, yeah. you know, that was such a fun time, and we just, I think, the fun that we had in the studio came across on on certainly the first record, hopefully the second as well, and uh, it just. You know, I couldn't believe, I feel like Forrest Gump, I've <laughs> managed, my life has landed into certain things I never dreamed I would do. You <laughs> right, <know? laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, tell us about your involvement, because uh, you've been involved in, in, in many songs for movies and entertainment, like, you know, films that uh, you've uh, participated in were um, Night of the Comet, St. El- Elmo's Fire, Teen Wolf, Square Dance, um, The Lion of Africa, and... And uh, and we think that you even have a credit on um, you know one life to live, and uh, so. um, I don't have a credit. I do have a song on there that mm-hmm. was uh, produced by my producer on this newest album, Fred Mullen. Yeah. Um, uh, we actually started to, to do an album about twenty seven years ago, and that song, "All I Know" by Jimmy Webb, was that was that song, and they used it on a folk opera compilation album of, of some sort. And um, that was just, that was Fred's idea. He heard us doing that together, and so we did that duet, and always, that, in fact, that's why I called Fred right around the time that I was getting ready to do this record. I said, you know, I wanted to find out about the licensing on that song. I'd like to redo it and, and have that, or, or keep that version for my new record. And he said, I want to do the record, and I I said, well, I kind of, you know, I just did a project last time with this musician, Bernie Cervelli, and yeah. we had talked about doing the next one. He said, nope, I've got to do this record. We started it years <laughs> ago. We're going to finish it. But yeah. he sort of convinced me that, that that's what I needed to do, and I'm, I'm glad I did. And it was fine with Bernie, and Bernie's one of my favorite co-writers. So He's we, great. we did a couple of our songs on this record together. I love yeah. Bernie's new album too. We've we've got tracks playing on Inside Music Cast Radio and we've had Bernie as a guest on the show in the past too. So We love Bernie. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. I love him. He's so good and I just love writing with him. He's it, it, we just have such a great Yeah. the poor the way we write together. Yeah. Well, as the story goes, you plan to take a, a break from the music from music for a short time and as you, you know, you wanted to focus on your kids and your new home in Tennessee and of course, uh, you know, this this new life away from LA. And it wasn't long after settling in that you, you know, you learned some news that completely, you know, of course, turned your life on a path you'd never expected. And the fact that you had breast cancer and cancer in several lymph nodes. And, you know, I read a story. Right. Yeah, I read a story that you had written for, I don't remember the publication about. Oh, it was probably Guidepost. It was, and, you're right. It was Guidepost about, you know. Yeah, they interviewed me and they sort of wrote it. Yeah. Their way, you know. So some of the yeah. things weren't exactly right on, but it was, it was 
pretty much the story. Yeah. That was the story. Well, I guess the, the, the one part about the story, and it was like the, the title of the story, was that, you know, through this, this whole experience and, you know, and how devastating it initially seemed it's going to, it was, obviously, but you heard a voice that simply said you're going to be okay. And, um, I did. And, of, of course, you know, the path to being okay wasn't easy, but in the end, you know, you're okay, and you beat cancer, and through what became a, mm-hmm. a very long hiatus from music, you returned to recording, I think, in 2008, and you released uh, that very beautiful album and very personal album called yeah. Journey to Miracle River. And, um, right. And the, uh, this album and the songs on it allowed you to put your journey into perspective, and it was, it was, you know, in essence, a celebration of, again, starting a new life. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, um, you know, the, everybody thinks I wrote the lyrics to, to to Miracle River, and I, I didn't. I wrote, I co-wrote the music with Bernie. Uh-huh. But the the day that John Goodwin, the other co-writer, yeah. he would always come over, and he'd have like stacks of lyrics, and um, a lot of times Bernie and I would have lyrics as well. But this day that we got together, he brought Miracle River, and. We both, Bernie and I looked at both at each other and went, we're working on this one today. Yeah. And it just happened. Bernie started playing chords and I started singing melodies and pretty soon the song was done and we were thrilled. So yeah, that's how that one happened. This album was really organic, you know, heavily acoustic and, and it was a combination right. of country and sort of folk and a little bit of bluesy, you know, mixed in there. Um, this sure. new this new direction, you know, was uh, was a direction a, a direct reflection of of your of everything that you had gone through. Um, tell us after that, what changed in your in your perspective in your writing or in your in your musical career? What what did you want to accomplish after a, a long hiatus? You know, well, I was I I had started really getting my feet wet at writing more, and mm-hmm. and that was that was probably the most exciting thing for me on that record was to be you know a co-writer on a lot of the songs because I hadn't really done that before and uh we just happened to fall into a a pattern of writing together that worked really well for us and we were happy with it and and Bernie had a certain way of you know how he heard things being done and and I really trusted him and so you know I would help write the songs and I'd sing them and then I sort of I, you know, he was open to my ideas, but I, I, I was more open to his because I didn't want to go down a road that I didn't know much about, which was production. Yeah. Well, hey, um, Eddie and Amy, if you guys don't mind, uh, let's take a break and let's check out a track from this new album, Light on My Path. And uh, this is the first track on the album titled Bridge of Size from our guest today, Amy Holland on Inside Music Cast.
saw my father Said there are things you just can't see talked a little bit about Michael and of course being married to him you, you guys have obviously been together for a long time and, and you know you, you kind of have the good fortune of having like a built-in vocalist at your beck and call <laughs> but I know I know I have a really good background vocalist that lives, well in my room so you know. yeah aside from his incredible voice tell me tell me how he has inspired and, and taught you from a musical perspective over all the years you've been together what have you taken away from from Michael uh, over all these years well, I think, you know, I, I think, <laughs> it's funny, things are almost, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, I'm joking when I say this, but, you know, at times you live with a musician and depending on the close proximity of the piano to where you're trying to sleep <laughs> and the same song is being played over and over and over again. <laughs> but what I learned from him, that the best way to get, get the best results is repetition yeah, is yeah. you know mm-hmm. either learning a song or singing a song over yeah. and over or playing it or whatever and so he I learned a lot watching him do what he does yeah and I think you know certainly on on this project I you know uh, the new one I I took away a lot of what I've watched him do over the years and uh, I said mm-hmm. you know what now I get it I get <laughs> it why you have to play a song a hundred thousand times <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you get you know, you get what you want that way. So. Exactly. You well, know, you yeah. know. On the flip side, it's, it's, it's almost so, so much a part of my life now. It's hard for me to even verbalize how it influences me. But yeah, we're, we're just, you know, music brought us together, and it's just part of our family. And sure. like you said, my son, and you know, everybody 
my sisters sing, and I mean, it's a musical family. It's just mm-hmm. been, you know, some people are sports families. We're we're the music family. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, on the flip side, how do you think this might be an interesting question from a different angle? But how how do you think that you've inspired Michael in in his music? That's an intrigue. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Interesting. He says that he's that I've influenced some of the songs he's written, but uh-huh. um, there's only one of him, and he does him. You know, <laughs> I don't really listen to him and think, "Oh, he ripped off Amy Hall." <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. I think uh, you know he's he's always been my biggest cheerleader. He's just he has his opinions of you know what songs he thinks might be better for my voice or what key or whatever, right. but. You know, uh, certainly in these last two projects, he's he's sort of let me go and, and see where I went on my own, and, mm-hmm. and, and I appreciated that because I got to, you know, kind of test my own abilities and, and intuition on where I wanted to go with things, and and he's he's just there to be supportive, but... Boy, he was really pushy. One thing on every day. But down boy, down boy. Uh, that's funny. Well, you probably you can't really beat his backgrounds, you know. But right, I, yeah. I, you know, I can't have him on everything. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you probably said it best a second ago. You, you guys are a musical family, and, and whether you like it or not, you probably all learn from each other just by osmosis, you know, the fact that you're mm-hmm. around each other and playing together all the time. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard to put it into yeah, words. Right, exactly. It's just a, a, a day in the life, yeah, really. Yeah, you know? right. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned in your credits on this new album, Amy, that uh, you started this project with Fred you know, around 25 years ago, and then life showed up, according to what you're saying. And and talk to us a little bit about how this project sort of incubated as in a concept, an idea for 25 years, and also about Fred. Um, you know, how did you decide to work with him for this album? And uh, because you've known him a long time, since 1980. Right. Well, um, we we actually, Mike bought a little house that Fred sold mm-hmm. in uh, L.A., and it had a recording studio back. And so Mike bought that house for his own office. And studio, so um, I met you know I met Fred through Michael and um, Fred just when he did the demos that were at the at the time we thought we were going to go for an album and I didn't know life would show up the way it did but um, I, I loved working with him I loved because I'm not I'm not like Michael or or some like his sisters have very strong voices I don't. I'm not a real loud, strong singer, so Fred was very uh, definite about how he wanted my voice recorded, and it, it just seems like he leaves a lot of space around my voice mm-hmm. to let it come forward and not drown it out with the with the tracks. Right, and that was something that um, I really, really liked, you know, about his production. Yeah. Well, on Light uh, on My Path, you've put together a really interesting collection of songs from different writers, and including a couple of your own that you collaborated with and uh, uh, that go on this album. But we know uh, the names of these writers quite well. I mean, gee whiz, uh, Jimmy Webb, you know, you have a track from maybe two tracks, I think, from Mark Jordan, uh, Bernie, right. Bernie, Michael, Jack Ralph, and, and uh, you know, and, and others too. T- tell us about how you came to select these great songs because – they uh, have a nice, uh, you, you really wove them together in a beautiful way. Thank you. I appreciate that because, you know, I think if I had tried to do this 
20 years ago, people would have said, no, that, you can't put that song with that song, you know, because, you know, some of them are a little different, maybe a little more jazz, and maybe a little more Americana on another, and one or two pop or something. But um, Fred is, a, a, you know, an endless supply. He has an endless supply of, he's a song man. He just gets great. He, he mm-hmm. just knows great songs, and... He knew, because he lived in Toronto for years, he met Mark Jordan there, so he had actually, some of the songs we recorded on this record, he had brought to me all those years ago, and we just didn't get a chance to record them, because we didn't go forward with the project at that time. But um, uh, he brought me the Cindy Lauper song, which I absolutely fell in love with, and Fred has produced a lot of Jimmy Webb albums, so Jimmy, you know, that was a no-brainer. I knew there'd be a Jimmy Webb one in there somewhere. (laughs) And then, um, let's see, uh, the Jack Roof songs, a friend of mine, uh, Candy Bull, was, uh, she was, I was at her house having tea one day, and she said, you know my friend Jack, that we we can both take photographs. She goes, I've never heard his songs, and I said, no, I'd love to, and she put some demos on her or things he had written and I went, excuse me, uh, stop the tape. <laughs> Where do I get a hold of this guy? So I really fell in love with his, his music yeah. and his, his writing and so we there were a few to choose from so we chose those two that we did. Yeah, yeah cool. You know, we always love talking about the, the making of an album and, you know, the engineering, the players, recording, you know, even the studios. And, you know, you credit several studios in the Nashville area where you recorded, you know, different aspects of this album project. Um, and how long did it take to record this album? Did you record over a long span of time or, or tell us about that? Well, it, it, well, compared to my other projects, no. Okay. But it was, it, it was a good part of a year. Um, uh-huh. Because we had moved back to California, and then Fred was living in Nashville. So I'd been in Nashville for 15 years, and then we go to do this record, and I'm back here. And he says, no, we're going to do it in Nashville. So I was flying in and out doing, you know, we would... But our tracking, I had, we had... Michael and I had never worked that way, the way that Fred worked. I mean, Hmm. these guys in Nashville, they mean business. I mean, we did 14 (laughs) tracks in two days, and I had never worked that way. And there were moments where I was standing in the middle of the room going... Wait a minute! What's going on? It's going too fast here. I don't. I don't know what's what's happening. What's going on? Yeah. What's going to happen? What's it, what's it going to sound like? I don't even know. I don't have time to think. Yeah, yeah. In and uh, the the two days that we were tracking, I had completely lost my voice from allergies. Wow. I, I, something I was allergic to on my property, some tree that we oh, still no. can't identify, yeah. was taking my voice. <laughs> and so I'm a little huskier on these vocals on this record, but people seem to like the change. So. I'm just, I'm going, okay, plant, wherever you are, don't die. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I hope you're feeling but, better. But we, yeah, we tracked on Music Row. We did the tracks on Music Row in a studio on Music Row in Nashville. And then our home studio, um, which uh, was next door to our farm, Mike bought the studio, well, a house that had a studio in it next door to uh-huh. our house. And uh, that's where I did most of my vocals. Okay. Well, you know, you brought up an interesting point there a second ago about how, you know, you, you brought on all these Nashville cats that just came in and they almost like an oily machine. They get in there and they just cranked out these parts <laughs> right. and you said you didn't have time to think. And and uh, I guess in hindsight, when you look back, I guess at that time when, when they tracked all this stuff and you laid it down, I mean, were you ultimately pleased or did you have to go back in and change some things because you were moving too fast? No, not at all. It, it, it was just so different because 
it, in the studio with Michael, it was so laid back, and you okay. know, he tells jokes. Everybody that knows Mike knows that he tells jokes, <laughs> yeah. and I can tell you that after 36 years, these jokes get longer and longer. He's Irish, and the stories just the family members added on to the jokes that never existed. So anyway, we just you know we were ordering food in, we were telling jokes. It was and. It, and Fred meant business. We were going in. We were doing. <laughs> we did, you know, like I said, fourteen tracks in two days. And wow, you know, Fred said that he had the whole album in his head before it was even before we cut one note. So it was, you know, we had talked about working together before, but we'd never really started a project like this yeah. before. Yeah. You know, we had yeah. done demos, and that was a different thing. But, um, but I had I hadn't worked that way before, and and it. it it was. It seemed like it was going by so fast. I yeah, just, yeah. I didn't know what was happening, you know. Yeah. And uh, boy, I just, I, I just love everything these guys did. And Pat Coyle, the keyboard player that plays with Mike on the road, he was just his stuff is just yeah. gorgeous. It yeah. was. I mean, every every player on the album. I mean, Pat Coyle, every he, player, he's just every Pat, player. And then Pat Matt is, McCauley wrote two beautiful strings, and yep. that just slayed me. And you know, and, and Fred didn't want to have strings on every song and horns on every song. He he had everything pretty much, you know, tastefully planned out to just a little, a little of this and a little of that, and that was his recipe. So, yeah. and I, I like the word that you just used. You know, um, tasteful. Um, you know, there's no overplaying on this album. Everybody plays uh, what they have to play to make the track. And uh, I mean that's really evident in Pat's solos throughout the whole album, and and even from the drumming, you know Greg Morrow on drums. I mean, there's a couple of jazz tunes that even show, you know, you, you made him really jazzy with brushes, and everything was right. just not overplayed. I mean, and uh, very tasteful. And then you even also included some some guest vocalists that I want you to talk about because uh, you included obviously Michael, but Joseph Williams uh, was there helping you out, David Crosby, your son Dylan, David Packer, right. and even Ke- Kevin Whalem. Um, can't go wrong with any of these guys, can you? Oh gosh, it was so <laughs> exciting to get every one of them. It really was. Yeah. And uh, I, it's funny. I had been. I went to the grocery store one day, and uh, when I came out, David Crosby and his wife were walking in. He goes, "We were talking and chatting a little bit because we used to be neighbors. We used to live up near where they lived." And he said, "I'll never forgive you for moving away." <laughs> you know, I said, well, <laughs> "We're back. We're back." He said, "Hey, are you singing?" You need to be singing. So when we called him to sing on this thing, I said, you got to be careful what you say to a Dutch girl in a parking lot. <laughs> because you wanted me to sing, and when this song came up, you you were the only one I could think of to do it. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, it was kind of fun. And then David Pat, um, his voice speaks for itself. And yeah, doesn't it, though? I had worked with him before on the second album, and it was really fun to have him on that part on Gravity. So Yeah. Was, you know, just working with my old buddies. Sure. Well, let's talk about a few of the tracks on this album. I think we want to highlight a few of them. Track one is one of our favorite uh, tracks. It's called Bridge of Size, and it's written oh, by thank you. yeah, very nice, uh, written by Louise Lynn Goffin. Uh, it right. has a wonderful melody line, and of course, Michael on BGVs, but um, you know, which are solid as always. Pat Coyle, tremendous. You know, he's such a field player, and uh, he brings oh, such a amazing. massive uh, experience that he brings. How long have you, um, you know, how long did you have this tune in your pocket, and uh, when did you pick this up? Well, Michael had this tune in his pocket because uh, one of the producers he worked with at one time, Russ Titleman, 
brought yeah. mm-hmm. that song to Michael's attention as a possibility for him to record it on something they were going to do, and Michael never did it. So when, when this project came up, he said, you really ought to try Bridge of Size. And mm-hmm. when I heard it, I fell in love with it. It's so a beautiful track. That, yeah, was, that, was, that was a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. I, I just... I mean, Louise did such a beautiful job on her version. I thought, what can I bring to this? But I, I wanted to do it anyway. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'll make a go of it. <laughs> well, it was a great arrangement. I really like the arrangement. I like that. You, yeah. I like that you started the album with it. I think it was yeah, a very yeah. nice way to start. Yeah. Yep, it was. Yeah. Thank you. And then, and then comes a, a Mark Jordan song, uh, "I Must Have Left My Heart," and it's you know, this track is so jazzy and smooth. And mm-hmm. you know, you, you, it's, I call it my grown-up song. <laughs> it it is very grown-up. When I grow up, I'm gonna, I want to have brush drums and a stand-up bass, yeah, and I yeah. want that to be my back backup yeah. band. And don't ask me why. I don't know. But um, so that was his his song. Uh, Must have left my heart, and the song "Holiday" were really fun for me to do because mm-hmm. of it was just different than anything I'd done and something I'd always dreamed of doing. So, Have you, have you sang a lot of jazz tunes like this in your career? Because uh, you really, you really seem... No, I really hadn't. Because but, you really seem um, comfortable with it. <laughs> Very comfortable. It was, it was really, really... It, it felt really right. Yeah. It just felt really right. And I couldn't be happier with how they turned out. Well, hey, guys, if you don't mind, let's take a break. And let's check out uh, this track on Amy Holland's new album, Lie to My Path. And this is a track called I Must Have Left My Heart. From our guest today, Amy Holland on Inside Music Cast. Tonight was black and blue This overcoat won't do It's falling all apart When I left you I must have left my Thank you. 
You shift gears with uh, into pace a little bit with walking on a wire, which I love. Uh, just the intro, oh, good. I know. I just the intro is sort of like, wow, I like this already, right? <laughs> and, oh, good. Uh, but it was written by Rick Boston and um, a, a couple other guys, and it features Joseph Williams on on backgrounds. Um, you know, it's it's a, got a great pace, great melody line. How did you uh, like working with J- Joseph? And was it your first time working with him? It was, and I have to tell you that he had a lot to do with influencing me to be... Well, I was very... Ins- Mike did a, a tour with Toto a couple of years back, mm-hmm. and um, I hadn't heard Joseph sing for years, and it was the first time I really had heard him live. And I was so inspired, yeah. and I was so doing nothing at the time. <laughs> you know, my, my nest was very empty except for furry creatures, and, you know, as happy as I am to be around my animals, I... I thought, you know, I'm not dead yet, and <laughs> I must have stuck around for a reason, and I, this may be the reason, and I, I love Joe's voice. I love yeah. him. He's Amazing. a wonderful guy. I think he's a phenomenal singer, and um, Mike had done some work on the Total album, so I yeah. I ran right in there and went, would you play on my record, please? <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, He sounds better than ever. I mean, I've seen him perform oh, uh, with you know the past couple of years. I've been to some of their shows, and Eddie and I are going to catch him again this summer. And yeah. uh, it's just yeah, he sounds he sounds better than he did you know twenty five thirty years ago when he was you know. Oh, I know. Singing he clearly, the, apparently, he has a very strict routine with his voice. He really uh, takes care of it, and yeah. it shows whatever he does. You yeah. know, and I just you know I bow down to him. His vocals are just amazing. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Stained Glass Love is a, it's an acoustic-based uh, guitar ballad by Marcus Humman, 
And uh, is that right. Ber- is that Bernie that played the guitar on this track? No, no, no it's not. Cool. Um, and I'm, forgive me, I know Terry Marks played, but I don't know if he played on that one okay. or. Yeah, you did have well, a couple great guitarists. I, did, I forgot the other name. We had two. Yes, we had two guitar players, right. and I'm sorry, I'm I'm blanking out. That's, okay. that on the table. That's all right. Um, yeah. Well, this this track is it's it's a really spiritual song that seems to sort of. When I was listening to it, you know, I played it over a couple of times. It seems to really peel peel away the layers of life, you know, to a way to know the to reveal that you know it's what the real basis of living is. And you know, you did such right. a great job on this. And I don't know where you know how many takes that you you took in in uh, in recording this because yeah, I shed a tear <laughs> a little bit, and I'm like, yeah. how did she make it through this 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 track? It's so richly beautiful. Oh, thank you. Well. You know, we punched in a little bit, and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, Fred, usually the way he would do vocals with me was he would just have me sing it down and sing it all the way through and then say, okay, well, give me another one, and give me another one. He goes, I got it. I go, yeah. what, do we, what do you mean? What do you have? I, I don't know. I haven't heard this. He goes, he goes well, you, gave me, what, you gave me beautiful stuff here. I've got it. I've got it. So some songs we probably did more takes than others, but... Um, but he'll never tell me which which those were. You know, he just had his own way of doing things, and I trusted him. You yeah. know, I, I, at the end of the day, when I would hear what what he got, I'd say, "Oh, okay, I get it now. I, I get what you were doing." Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was just, you know, his approach to it was a lot different, like I said, than mm-hmm. Michael's was, and so and fun. I mean, Fred Fred's a fun. I love him. He's an old friend and just a funny guy. So we had a lot of fun. Well, another track uh, that I really liked was was me, my heart, and I, and it's you know it's it's a oh, nice slow. I'm so glad you like that. Yeah, it's a nice slow you know kind of a shuffle, and it has that quality that resembles sort of a a Patsy Cline track. Yeah, there's there's a part bit. of me that even thought I was listening to maybe a, <laughs> an old Crystal Gale record, and right. and, uh, and we love it. The fiddle work by Stuart Duncan is just oh, I really love nice. him. I yeah. love his work. It's beautiful. And that song was uh, co-written by my brother-in-law. Mike's sister's husband and I fell in love with that song right away, huh. and I couldn't believe that they they had shopped it in Nashville a bunch of a bunch of people and yeah. I couldn't believe I mean I just felt like all these great songs were available and mm-hmm. um, me my heart and I to me felt like my mother that that okay. was yeah. when my mother went from doing Esmeralda and married my <laughs> dad to New York and started singing kind of Andrew's sisters sort of tunes you know and. 40s kind of things, that really resonated with me. I felt like my mother was with me that day, helping wow. me do that vocal, because that was very much her. Boy, if she would have only been there to, to watch you record it. that That's such a, a neat tribute to her, you know? It, well, it is a tribute to her, because it, it really, um, like I said, I was, felt like I was done to sound bizarre, or woo woo or yeah. anything, but it was like I was channeling her or something. Yeah. You know, some of the vocals I listened to, I went, "Wow, I sound like my mom on that line." You know, <laughs> so it was it was really fun, and I was really happy to do that song. Neat. Well, you spoke of Gravity, that track, uh, a little earlier, um, but it's sort of laid-back, somber tone with r- really rich harmonies. This is the only track that has, I think, three- or four-part uh, harmonies. Uh, who was singing with you? Right. Is this David Pack and, and David Crosby? And explain the vocals a little bit. Well, um, you know, the funny thing is I was in Nashville working on vocals on another tune with Fred, mm-hmm. and David... Crosby was only available at a certain time because he was going on the road. 
So Mike took him in the studio in Santa Barbara to put his part on. And then when it came to David Pack's part, uh, he's living up in Napa Valley now, and I don't I don't exactly know where he recorded it, but, you know, <laughs> with the way things are now and computers and flying tracks sure. in and out and all that, we just, they sent him the track and he put the high part on and it worked. So we weren't, Mike, there was nobody with him, you know, producer-wise when he did his part, but we, the three of us were not in the room together when we did that, when we wow. did that song. Wow. So. Well, it was kind of fun how it turned out. It's beautiful. You, you could have fooled us. I know, right? <laughs> oh, thank you. I know, I know. I was just, I was so, I wanted to be there when they did their parts, but I was, you know, I was on the other part of the world. Oh, Never yeah. mind, so. That would have been cool. Something else. Well, um, Amy, Eddie, uh, let's take another break, and let's check out the track Gravity, which features uh, David Pack and David Crosby on backing vocals. And again, this is from Amy's new album, Light of My Path, on Inside Music Cast. Darkness I'll be Beyond the reach 
Well, lastly, you know, you include, uh, like you mentioned earlier, a Cindy Lauper tune, and it's called "Hat Full of Stars." And uh, right. what a great track to pull out of your hat! I, mean, I know, no right? <laughs> Again, Fred, Fred Mullen. Yeah, he brought me that song. I did. I was not aware of that song. I think, I think Cindy had put that out five or six years before, but I didn't know the record and, and I didn't know the song. And um, I fell in love with the song, but every time I would listen to it, I would just cry my eyes out, and yeah. I couldn't figure out why. Hmm. And and it wasn't, I hadn't even really paid attention to the lyrics. Uh-huh. There was something about that song that made me cry every time. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, well, there's something about this song, I have to do it. I'm just, I'm meant to do this song for Good. some reason. Good choice. So it was, it was another, another one that I was really happy about. I know what you mean. There's there's some songs that I don't know. Maybe it's just uh, the a, a frequency that hits you or something. That's it's part yeah, of our it just makeup. Touches you in a place that you didn't know you had. There's you there's know? there's a song that always that does it to me every time. And it and the first time I heard it was in a movie called Fly Away Home. And it's a song called Ten Thousand Miles. And it's by oh, right. uh, Mary Chapin Carpenter. I can't. Remember. I think it's Mary Chapin Carpenter. Anyway, and right. every time I hear that, it's like it just totally eats at me. You know, I just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I'm going to break down. <laughs> exactly. That's what this song did. <laughs> and I thought it brought up something. I don't know what. Something had to come out of me because yeah. it sure did. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the A lot very of tears before vocals. That's what I could say. <laughs> You're right. That's all I can tell you. Yep. Well, at the end of the album, you know, you include this wonderful track called "The Light on My Path" and. It's really a beautiful prayer, you know, for direction and guidance. And I think, you know, we can probably all in our lives relate to this track in some way or another. Um, right. When did you write this track? Uh, you know, there's a part uh, where you're singing, you know, and the lyrics say, um, you know, because I'm stuck in this canyon where the world has gone black. Tell us how you felt as you penned this wonderful track because it ends it on a very, very nice, uh, nice tone. Well, again, like Miracle River, this mm-hmm. particular song, the lyric was written by John Goodwin, mm-hmm. and um, you know it. You know, some people think it's a religious song. It really wasn't supposed to be necessarily sure. religious. It was just spiritual, yeah. as far as I was concerned. But he, Bernie, and I looked at that, and I said, "I really love these words. I love these lyrics." And Bernie said, "Yeah." He said, "It almost seems like it would be a hymn or something." Yeah. So. We went in the music room, and he started just playing a few notes on the piano, and I started singing it, and pretty soon we had the melody, and it was done. Right. That, wow. went, that went pretty quickly, but, and I said, I don't know why, but I want that to be the last song on the record. Okay. Yeah. So, and then wound up wanting it to be the title track, and because I, you know, I have been on an interesting path, yes. and there have been many times over the last 20 years that I didn't know which foot should go where. Yeah, and you know, it, I just had to have faith that I was doing the right thing. Yeah. Well, you know, like this album, uh, "Light on My Path," and of course the the album before, "Journey to Miracle River." Um, you know, you mentioned you said it perfectly. It, it, this is something people can relate to because mm-hmm. everyone, of course, has you know interesting paths in their lives, and I think I think people can really take away from 
some of the songs, some of the lyrics, some of the messages that are in both of these albums? Of course. Well, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. The songs, you know, whether I wrote them or somebody else wrote them, there were especially some of the ones that other people wrote, just really touched me, you mm-hmm. know. And I, I, we would have written, we would have written more together for this record, but Fred brought me so many great songs that we had, we had, we, I mean, we did fourteen songs. That's a lot of songs, and we had two more. Wow! And uh, wow. I said. You know, maybe we better hold on to those. <laughs> one of them, one of them was the song from "One Life to Live," and oh, okay. he said, "Well, Japan loves to get bonus tracks, so yeah, that could be a bonus track for Japan." <laughs> and, right. and then this other tune that called "Boy of Steel," also a Richard Steckel song that's just beautiful that we recorded 27 years ago. So the two bonus tracks were recorded a long time ago, wow. but they are meant to be part of this project at some point. Oh, cool. Well, you've definitely made every track on this album your very own. Uh, whether you Thank wrote them or you. not, they and uh, it sounds nice like that. It, it, it sounds like that. We, when you listen to the album from front to to back, it's uh, it's very cohesive and it's it's a different side of uh, of Amy Holland's work that we've seen in the past. And and uh, right. but, but we're so glad to have you back in yeah. in in the biz again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You know, my life this year has just I have had the best year. It's just been wonderful. That's yeah. good working with all new people that I hadn't known, making yeah. some new friends in the business, and, you know, finally getting to do this record with Fred. And, and my husband would not play on it. He, of course, he wanted to sing on everything, but he wouldn't play on it. <laughs> he wanted Pat to do all the keyboards. I said, why aren't you playing on this? You wrote, you wrote this one song. Why didn't you play on this? No, Pat's got to do it. No, Pat. So, but he, he was at almost every session watching and listening, and uh, it was really fun, you know. Very cool. Fun to have him around. Well, let's uh, tell everybody where they can where they can get a copy of this album or where they can download it. Really? Well, I know iTunes. You can download it. Yep. CD Baby. Yeah. Um, now I should mention, you know, uh, Steve Picaro from Toto. Yep. His daughter Heather did the artwork, and that's I right. Yes, she did. Yep. Not only did I fall in love with her as a person, she is just adorable. His yep. daughter, but she did a beautiful package of the, you know, for the CD. So um, I know a lot of people have to download music, but if if, if you're one that likes to, to get album art, she did a beautiful job. Well, you know, I had planned to ask you about that, and I almost forgot. But tell me about, you know, the album cover and, you know, sort of the inset and the booklet. It has lots of photos. Photo, It looks like little snapshots of you and, mm-hmm. and just various scenes. And I just wondered what those what those photos were of or anything specific in your life or anything that, was, you know, like uh, had, a, had a significance to you. Well, yeah, actually um, – the album cover, there's a photo of me, and, uh-huh. and we took it in the Botanical Gardens. Okay. And I, we wanted the light to be hitting the path at a certain time. I see. And we had, we had found the location where we wanted to do it, and the day we went to do the photo shoot was, oh, I guess about a month later, and the time had changed. Oh. <laughs> so when we went to shoot that <laughs> shot that day, the light was considerably gone compared to what we were expecting. But we still, out of all the shots, even though my eyes were closed, I said, you know, guys, I keep going back to this one picture, uh-huh. and it just seems very sincere and real to me. Okay. And, and how I felt at the time. Uh-huh. And, um, but some of the little snapshots that were taken underneath, uh, we took some of the photos at the church we got married in up okay. here in Santa Barbara. And it's a beautiful old mission-style church, and mm-hmm. so she loved a lot of the little places and niches and corners of the church, and so she took a lot of the photos and just 
kind of took them a snapshot playing underneath the photo or whatever. And initially she had had another idea about um, how she saw the album cover, and I had my idea of how I saw the album cover, and so we we met in the middle, and, and I'm really happy with how it came out. Well, she's super talented, and uh, I, I really I, talented. I've Great got, singer too. Yeah, I've got her album. I was going to mention a couple. She did a couple of albums, probably I don't know, eight or ten years ago, and and uh, she's so talented. She's yeah. got so many talents. That girl, I tell you. Well, Amy, thanks so much for spending all this time and talking yeah. to us about your new album, Light of My Path. And, uh, well, thanks. I'm sorry I was sort of sitting here dozing waiting for you to call me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I joked with I Amy I got that. my signals mixed. I, like, I've, been, I've been away for a while. you gotta, I got to grease myself back up for this again. You know? we'll, we'll be easy with you, Amy. We'll be easy with you, okay? It's a gradual Please, please be kind. <laughs> well, tell me. really fragile. No, actually, I'm, I'm bomb-proof at this point. They couldn't take me by now. They can't take me now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Well, tell Mike and Dylan we said hello, and, and uh, hopefully we can catch up with you again down the road. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so, and thank you so much for doing the interview. No okay, problem. no problem. Thank you, Amy. See ya. Take care. Thanks. Thanks a lot. All right, bye-bye. bye-bye. Special thanks to Amy Holland for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Kim Riley, Brian Pearson, Scott Gross, Loretta Sassaman, Scott Sheriff, and Don Brightup for their continued support and content development for Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast is powered by Cabello Associates and Earshot Audio Post. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. Don't waste your breath. Don't waste my time. If I hear one more excuse, I lose my mind. It's been a quiet.